Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Screen Talk IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, joined as always by Ann Thompson. I'm here in New York. Ann's out in Los Angeles, but not for long because as we're recording this, you're about to go to the airport to get on a flight and join me in, in New York for the New York Film Festival. So very excited to have you here at this time. Looking forward, Eric. Back on your home turf. I know you're a New Yorker. I'm not going to pretend that this is an East Coast, West Coast turf war or anything like that. When you're here, you're back at where you belong. I'm but back home. I have to tell you, you are. And, and you've chosen a good time to come because well, New, New York, York in the fall is a special all crisp that air New York Film Festival thing. It's like heralding fall. I looked forward <laughs> to it every year. Film prom at Tavern on the Green. But I have to tell you, I mean, I've, I've been out and, and seeing this city wake up in a lot of different ways. And it's been really thrilling to be kind of back in the rhythms of the fall movie season at home. We had that experience to tell you right of, oh, yeah, it's, it's it is possible to have that experience on the road. But here in New York, you know, I was out last night um, that we're recording this on Thursday and I went to the Whitby Hotel and moderated a Q&A for Coda, then headed up to Tavern on the Green, which felt like sort of a prelude to opening night New York Film Festival it was actually a party for many saints of Newark. Two totally different kinds of crowds. But I mean, New York thrives on these on this kind of event based culture and and you know really gathering the creative community to launch films and 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 uh and you know create sort of buzz around things in a way that is very unique to this kind of environment so it's really exciting to have new york film festival come along right now reopening alice tully hall as it has this month uh to to kind of give this sense that it is possible to move forward uh in this city uh, rather than just, you know, with these sort of isolated events. But just collectively, you can feel it across the board that the events are coming back. And and, and, and it's a live back. festival. You have to be vaccinated and you go into I'm, it's going to be interesting to get, be back in some some big cinemas. I did a I did do a, a the we launched the um, International Documentary Association uh, series that we we help uh, promote uh, at IndieWire. And we uh, we did the rescue, which played really well. And it was outdoors in a park lot on a big screen with headphones, which takes care of that issue of Bad hearing sound. helicopters and, yeah. you know, sound. You, you don't hear huh. other people in taking their breath or gasping. Or well, you need that for this movie because it's so claustrophobic. You wouldn't want to lose the kind of the, the textures of being trapped in a cave. By, it worked really yeah. well. It played really well. It That's going to be a strong, strong uh, documentary contender, which is an interesting question because um, I know I'm off topic, Eric. Um but but that oh. that movie is by the filmmakers who made Free Solo and they won the Oscar. So it's it's unusual to go back up a second time and and get in again. If it got nominated, it would be a very strong contender. Well, Chai Vassar Helen and Jimmy Chin obviously know how to play this game because they played it so recently. And if the film is strong enough, then why not? 
they've got the same team behind it and their editor uh, uh, who worked on Free Solo and so forth. So it seems like there's Bob Eisenhart, Bob Eisenhart. Yeah, really good editor. So there's it's he a did all three kind of their of movies. He did Maru as well. You can talk about the craft of this movie as much as you can talk about, you know, the the harrowing adventure story that that's at the center of it. Certainly, there will be a lot of other docs competing this year, and it's going <laughs> to be more than big, enough. More yeah, than enough. But, anyway, but so we're heading, but we're up. doing outdoor. We're we're also doing indoor. Uh, the people like I did an interview with Jake Gyllenhaal for The Guilty, which is opening up a Netflix movie, and you know we did it in person. So it's really I, I talked to Ann Dowd, uh, who stars in the movie. Mass, uh, which is up for possible supporting acting contention, um, and it, so it was. It was really. Um, it was because they're all going supporting in that in that case. Um, it's nice to see people in person to sit down and actually yeah. talk to a human being, and you get the sense that other people also are excited by it. How was the coda one you did? Well, the coda thing was fascinating because first of all. Remember that this was a movie that launched at Sundance. It, it won all these awards, like w- way too many awards. And in some in some sense, they just sort of like dominated the awards. But it got the biggest deal in Sundance history with Apple. And yet we all experienced it at home in, and the filmmakers and the talent. Nobody got that big premiere moment. This was an all guild screening. And for a lot of the cast who were there, it was their first time watching it with an audience. That's and lovely. When, it was great. I and mean, when I came out on stage, I was like, look, I watched this movie on a couch, but it definitely is better to see it with the crowd, right? And everyone was sort of cheering because that's why it, I saw the rescue it. again. Right. It way. makes a difference. Yeah. It makes yeah. a difference. But the other thing that was fascinating about Coda in particular, and for folks who have watched it, you know, I mean, most of the actors are deaf, is that doing a QA with that cast is is a fascinating dynamic because they actually had uh, uh, a, a deaf tra- a, a coda translator on stage who had actually worked on the set for the film who the two actors the two main deaf actors troy who plays the father and daniel who plays the brother uh were sitting on the stage looking at that person for translations and they had two translators in the front row with microphones so when each of the actors responded you would hear their voices in real time it was really fascinating and it worked super well so they were doing tons of q a's i actually think in spite of whatever people have said about well maybe this movie didn't get the kind of lift you'd expect from a massive sentence in station apple is really investing in, in getting they're this gonna movie get out it there seen and early yeah that's the thing it's uh, oscars are all about any kind of awards is about the people seeing the movie and if they do enough work outreach and get it shown to enough people it'll make a difference so all, that's what it's about. So opening night of the New York Film Festival is Friday. And um, a lot of you are seeing press screenings uh, early. I, I'm going to miss that. The old part, ritual but, is back. Yeah, I but mean, I'll be I'll be there to, for the press screening the in the morning. I'm going to see it twice. <laughs> I do this every time. Because I, I sat you through the be Irishman there. twice in one yeah. day because I, one one is the um, the opportunity to just see the movie in the, in the context of being a journalist and processing it uh, just on its own terms. And the other is, you know, date night and, and going out and, and having a and good the time and on and the stuff. green. And I'll get to see yeah. all my IndieWire buddies and all my friends in New York. So the the movie, of course, is the tragedy of Macbeth. And the, the teaser uh, broke this week. It looks very black and white, very Orson Welles. Kind very of black and white. Yeah, it's kind of black and white. In, in, in <laughs> I mean, the it, sense it leans of, uh, into it. 
No, it's the fog. It's the fog yeah, that makes yeah, it look yeah. very Orson Welles. And then, and then we have, um, so that's Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. And of course, Denzel all, you know, has done uh, Shakespeare on film before he worked with Kenneth Branagh on um, Much Ado About Nothing, which at the time was a big deal. He was breaking the color code, and, and it was an interesting uh, choice on, on Branagh's part. And it became standard issue. It became no big deal after that. But at the time, it was a thing. It's fascinating to look back, look back on that because it wasn't, at the time, it wasn't even that long ago. But it certainly took a long time to get to that point. And now it's, you know, nobody's really going to question it in any particular way, although it is these are older actors to play these characters. So that that might be something that, that people will scrutinize. I mean, we, we seem to look more at age now than race when it comes to Interesting. Uh, you know, who's the right person to play X, X part. And how so, judgmental we can, yeah. we can be. Yeah, exactly. Um. <laughs> well, I, I want to bring up something else, though, because now we, we've, we've touched on two topics that are also also relevant to another film. One is black and white and the other is Kenneth Branagh, who over the weekend emerged very well from the Toronto Film Festival. As predicted, as predicted. Belfast won the, the People's Choice Award, which is often a bellwether for the Oscars. Not necessarily best picture, but it does mean that it is a real contender. As, and as last week, predicting. I suggested that King Richard uh, should have won, uh, might have been a contender. It, it wasn't in TIFF at all. So uh, that's why. But it might uh, have won. That would be the other. That's one. an yeah. interesting choice that they made uh, not to not to book it. And I have no idea. I have no idea what the behind the scenes uh, foot pattern was on that. Maybe, maybe they wanted Will Smith to show up. Maybe he didn't want yeah. to go. I mean, he got yeah. away with not going to Telluride because of various COVID protocols. But he, um, I think that movie would have been a competitor for for the audience prize. And there are movies like Birdman that didn't go to TIFF and ended up winning the Oscar yep. anyway. It's not a thing. It's just that if you do win, it gives you an enormous, um, it puts wind in your sails. But the it question basically is what says kind you're a contender. Win. Right, you know? because I, when Jojo Rabbit won, it was a contender and it won... The screenplay. Adapted Oscar. screenplay. Right. Yes. So, but it was that, a best that, picture contender. Too. It, it was yeah. in the conversation. And certainly Belfast is, is there. I, you know, I like the movie. I have a lot of respect for it. I do feel like there are with something like King Richard and something like Power of the Dog, some louder movies that get much more complex reactions from the crowd in a way than than this movie. So I wonder if you know, on some level, the festival hype around Belfast, which is not going to New York Film Festival, is going to be something that that continues to evolve as other movies kind of come into the conversation. I mean, how do you keep for focus features a movie like that elevated in the conversation when this sometimes is going to be pretty it's, heated? It's sometimes dangerous to be uh, the front runner in that way. What it shows, what it demonstrates is that it has populist appeal that it plays. And, and as we talked about last week, it's just so gratifying to be in rooms where you can see how a movie plays and you could see that Belfast played well. Um, the question there is how broad is its appeal? The actors are going to love it. So remember, that's the dominant branch. Um, yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. The others. The, and it has Jamie King Dorman Richard, as a secret weapon who seems to yes, be really good at charming the crowds. So. But it's going to be it's going to be. No, there's and Penneth Branagh is is a very compelling and and he's he's it's fascinating because he's been nominated as a writer, yeah. a director and an actor. And so this this time it'll, it could be best picture. It's it's uh, it's he's he's gotten um, um, recognition across the board. 
I guess the thing that I'm sort of curious about, I come out of this having seen King Richard, Power of the Dog, and and uh, and th- and Belfast, and looking ahead to New York Film Festival, where you know Power of the Dog is the centerpiece, El Motivar Films closing night, and I'm I'm wondering what else we need to see to know if we've already seen the Best Picture winner, because it does feel like if you look at the rest of the release calendar, it would take a lot for something to surprise at this point and upend the race. Right. If you look at Adam McKay's Don't Look Up, that does look very much like a comedy, an ensemble comedy with lots of little tiny parts. It doesn't look like Kate Blanchett as a newscaster is like a juicy supporting role necessarily. I mean, we'll find out when we see it. I'm looking for it. Um, looks like a wild Gonzo movie. I can't one wait. <laughs> but you know that that would have to hit on the right cylinders to be. It looks like it's goofing on people and and on on our society in the way that Adam McKay often does. The other one that. We don't know yet is West Side Story, which will come out very late in the day and could be that late running movie that sort of takes over everything if it turns out to be really good. Stephen Sondheim was promoting it on the Stephen Colbert show. Yeah, that was very Uh, well handled. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure somebody planned That's a validation, if you like. Um, And then, and it reminds people too, back in the day, West Side Story, um, 1961 version had all sorts of, of warfare going on behind the scenes. It was by no means, it was a power struggle of who was going to dominate that movie. Was it Robert Wise? Was it, was it, Sondheim was kind of shoved aside. Was it Bernstein? You know, it, that movie, and also that movie's far from perfect. I'm willing to admit that it could be improved upon. The music and the dancing was great, but there were so many reasons to be a little unhappy with some of the other aspects of it. I'm intrigued by what Sondheim said on Stephen Colbert, where he said that Tony Kushner found these innovative ways Mm -hmm. to position the music. I think the... The question I have there, and I'm, I'm somebody who's always felt like you can never discount Spielberg. I mean, with Ready Player One, which I thought deserved more appreciation. Me too. But I agree with I you. I remember it was like nobody thought that movie was going to end up being as satisfying as it was. And then there it was at South by Southwest and everyone was like, whoa, this movie is amazing and and challenging and, and, and doing new things. And um, with West Side Story, I guess the question is, even if Kushner has found some innovative ways to position the songs, it's West Side Story. You know what you're getting. Does a movie that is such a familiar property end up being the late breaking film that upends when we have, you know, a Jane Campion movie, uh, a Kenneth Branagh movie, Will Smith's passion project about a high profile sports story? Like it's it's going to be a pretty busy conversation by the time we get into these December movies. And who knows what the Paul Thomas Anderson film is like? Again, I mean, licorice pizza. We'll we'll have to see. <laughs> I just laugh I mean, when I hear usually, that. Name. I know. Usually, but usually, usually that's that. His movies are are respected and admired by the critics, and and not necessarily you know populist. You know, the crafts people always appreciate what PTA does um, in the Academy. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what kind of of, of oddball movie it turns out to be it's a it's a question of where it falls on the range of oddball the other thing i I thought was fascinating out of tiff was uh going into it we assumed i think the best actress race was about to be upended by jessica chastain with the eyes of tammy faye she was getting this special award we talked a bit about this before that you know she really is the thing that carries this movie and transcends it in certain ways but We've got this trailer up on the site for Spencer calling Kristen Stewart the front runner. 
And that's a pretty significant thing that she has basically survived that status after, you know, Chastain getting this higher profile. Well, remember, we haven't and we've seen the movie. So we know how good Spencer actually is. And and uh, and so I think I think in the end, you the the critical hosannas that are surrounding Spencer give her a lift. Whereas Eyes of Tammy Faye got mixed reviews. And while Jessica Chastain got great reviews and I think she'll end up in the race because it's a bravura, extraordinary performance that uh, what what Kristen Stewart does is to pull the audience into empathy with her in this extraordinary way in this. And she carries it. it. Every minute and a role that could go wrong very easily, the accent, the familiarity of the persona and so forth. I do think that it's notable that both uh, Spencer and Eyes of Tammy Faye are not going to New York Film Festival. So there's going to be some noise around festival stuff for a bit that doesn't involve these movies. I don't know if that changes things because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of best actress contenders, but it's going to be a whole process in terms of getting these movies out there in front of in front of people and keeping that those conversations going. And I wonder how some of these other films might, um, you know, challenge challenge the situation. So, so the movies that might pop out of New York, I mean, Power of the Dog will consolidate itself. We'll find yep. out about Macbeth. We'll find out um, how. I mean, I have to see Parallel Mothers. I can't wait to see it. Um, um, you know, one of the things I got to do uh, this week was go on a preview tour of the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures yes, here in tell Los us Angeles, about that. which is opening How cool on was the museum? September 30th. And um, I've been reporting on this for years and years. A lot of the people that were there with me were, were kind of like, how many years ago was that tour we took? Like three years ago, you know, with the hard hats when they were under construction. Um, so it's been delayed and all that, but, and it's super expensive. I mean, one figure that's being floated around is like $700,000, million, million, Jeez. million dollars. So, so the, a couple movies it's a huge that. thing. So Renzo Piano was there who, who did the big sphere and, and uh, you know, that we, we sat in the David Geffen theater where they're going to have lots of premieres. And there's a Pedro Almodovar exhibit that he himself designed. And it's beautiful. It's this, it's like this extraordinary royal blue setting, a dark setting with these great big rectangular panels with all the videos from his movies. It's just one of the most stunning visual uh, uh, exhibits there. And there's another one uh, for Miyazaki, which is quite cool. There's a thing where you line up, and this was, I was am- amused at my uh, journalist colleagues because they were lining up to see the Oscar experience where you mm. go in and win the Oscar and everybody's cheering for you for five seconds wow. while you accept an Oscar and they send you a video. Uh, so that's going to be very popular. So the, yeah, I was going to say, you had to have that one tourist gimmicky thing to, to keep the... No, that was a smart move. Head. They always had that in mind from the very beginning. I remember the early... I was at some early planning meeting uh, that we did very years ago to, to, to talk about what we should do with this museum. I enjoyed myself. If you enjoyed the Kubrick or the del toro or the tim burton exhibits that were done over the years that have traveled around there's a lot of that kind of level of of immersion here into the craft uh, of filmmaking and lots of delicious little tidbits my favorite thing was the backdrop from north by northwest of mount rushmore Mm. which was a painted it's a matte painting and they have it up on the wall. It's like a curved matte painting that they used throughout the movie 
behind all these different shots and you see all the photographs and you listen to the production designer talk about it how they did it and how they crawled around on on the you know other things that they created to make it real i love i love that stuff i'm a you know it's it's what all this reminds me is that we've had the museum of moving image in new york for 30 plus years and while it's certainly not as well funded as as this excursion or getting the same platform it does a lot of the similar things in its permanent uh collection i mean in terms of or the the exhibit the permanent exhibits do have a lot of things about the art of making movies that are very family friendly and so forth and it's kind of fascinating to have something like that right now when we're all sort of wondering like what is the future of the movies well this is so. the this was the question we keep asking is who's going to come to this you know is it, once you if you live in la and you're a cinephile you're definitely going to go but what and tourists will come my question is do they get repeat visits and how do they keep the so they have a permanent collection they change that up and then they they have so what they have is the red slippers they Mm -hmm. have r2d2 and c3po and and um you know iconic uh spaceships from 2001 and and you know all these things that you can that you can feel affection for depending on um where you're coming from i mean they they and they're they're obviously leaning uh into uh, having to correct history a bit uh, whenever there's something that's um, racist depicting <laughs> I mean white guys yeah. chasing the wrong people so there's a lot of leaning into that and explaining that and contextualizing that in a way that that uh, I was a little worried uh, about how they would handle it but it's it's actually very cool how they did it I, I saw one photo of there's um, Barry Jenkins moonlight. Uh, yes, that was card. tweeted. I, I, I was. Uh, he um, got a note from Warren Beatty, the guy who handed the Oscar to the wrong <laughs> person, <laughs> telling him his win was deserved. But then it was you like know, sort of in the handwritten same note. Thing. It looked like there were a bunch of those, right? Because there was one for Bella Lugosi's Dracula winning something, makeup or something like that as well. It seemed like they've they've collected a lot of these from over the years well, so. you, they have a rich rich treasure of archives that are just going to be you know cycled in cycled out you know as as you can see the big iconic uh things that are going to stay there but they're going to the little details uh that you you know i didn't have time to dig in deeply i'm going to go back i can't wait and there's also a part of it that has like magic lanterns from the 1700s mm-hmm. you know all the kind of um artifacts of showing yeah. movies that go back centuries right. Well, that to me seems like the most valuable. Th- I mean, I'm curious to know if you saw, was there anything related to TV? Because it, on some level, it seems like what, what we're talking about here is a museum that's about the moving image, but is also trying to be sort of faithful to what we call a movie and not other forms of that. But the Magic Lantern was not, you know, a traditional movie. It was something um, else. And well, but it, it led to movies. It led to, you know, what what ended up becoming. So what are movies leading action. to? You know, well, I mean, that's a question. I, and I are, are asking that question all the time, all the time. I mean, I, mean, I went to what are the Oscars um, going to be about if, yeah. if movies no longer <laughs> exist? Well, or if they don't, if they are just part of a larger cultural streaming culture. True. Yeah. I mean, I went to the to Leon to Thierry Fermo's, um classic film festival there the lumiere festival 
the Lumiere Institute is kind of like this. It's a movie museum. And when you walk through it, it kind of covers different stages in film history. And they do have a VR headset towards the end. And it's not like they're showcasing VR projects, but they're sort of hinting at the future. What will, you know, if we start with the Lumiere brothers as, as sort of like what we call moving images in the most traditional sense, what will they become next? So there is this sense of, well, we have to acknowledge that this is an art form that's in constant evolution and not exclusively tied to the thing that we nostalgically have grown up appreciating about it. So I think that's attention. And one of the things these people talked about was that this was something that came up 90 years ago as something that should be done. And it's sort of an interesting question. You know, why did it take them so long and have they done it too late? Yeah. Well, I can't wait to come see it. I don't know when I'll be in Los Angeles exactly next, but uh, I'll be curious to see how it also, how the museum also interacts with award season now that in-person events are back. I mean, to what extent yes, can they actually host events? But there's a whole other aspect of this, which is for for whatever reason, out of, uh, you know, safety protocol concerns or whatever, the Academy is returning to the portal, the portal that they, that, that, that costs each distributor, you know, like $12,500. I was going to say more than $10,000 when I was talking to more than $10,000. So they have to, so they're doing that money-making enterprise at the expense of the cost that it is to them to show the movies in their own screening room to the Academy members at the height of, you know, we're talking about everybody's going back. You know, wear a mask, get vaccinated. You know, you, you can come and see things in, in a, in a theater. If, if you take the right precautions, the Academy, isn't putting that up for people that's not going to happen they're going to have to watch it on the portal or go to other screenings being set by other people which is what you would you yeah. did with coda i think it's going to be a different season even though we, that platform is there i mean the thing that's fascinating to me is that it's almost like you know the way you need theatrical to raise you need a theatrical release in many cases to raise the profile of a film and that can have a trickle down effect even for people who choose to watch it at home. In this case, I feel like some in-person events might also nudge Academy members to watch things on the portal because if they can't make an event or whatever, they realize, oh, but I do have access. No, it's all a big marketing apparatus. Absolutely right. And the I other thing go, is funny. Eric. Oh no. Are go. we are we are we going on too long? We're gonna make I you have miss to, your I flight have to, on the I have podcast? to go finish packing. <laughs> and I hear I wanted to spend another five minutes ranting about Dear Evan Hansen, but I guess we'll have we to We could do that. That'll be fun night. to rant about. Yes, let's do that. So Dear Evan Hansen is an example of yet another musical coming from Broadway, along with In the Heights. Um, that isn't going over that well. Um, now, some people like it a lot, and I will say that I respect the craft that was required to even get it to the level that it is, but they made a, a, they made a very singular uh, miscalculation with uh, Ben Platt in uh, the, the role, well, uh, singing in close-up, constantly, you know, in this extraordinarily emotional, intense way, that by the time you get to the end of the movie, you want to go like this. You want to go, I can't look at this anymore. Yeah, well, the, the part of the problem, I, ta- I, I wrote something about this on the site this week, actually, it's that the, clo- the use of the close-up in this play is really it's in this movie is really it's Achilles heel because I saw the play I saw the musical and you're experiencing the totality of the stage there's lots of big screens and stuff that capture the social media stuff happening but you always have the characters sort of in miniature and that's an interesting visual contrast there's lots of action on the stage but when you get close to him 
something something you lose something. Lin-Manuel Miranda talked about this when he was promoting in the Heights and saying how he was learning about how to shoot a movie musical for Tick, Tick, Boom. What happens when you get close to an actor's face? Like they didn't really, I think, interrogate that decision the right way. And it really throws off. It, it makes it more. um I don't know, just more intimate in a way that it shouldn't be because you're not really capturing the complexity of the story in question. But it also becomes repetitive in a way. If you just have this guy singing and singing and singing, it, it, the rest of the cast is actually very good. And and by the way, the Caitlin skill Beaver. required, you know, yes, she's wonderful. And so is Amanda, Amanda Stenberg, um, who actually wrote a song. She should have been the get main nominated. Yeah. Yeah. She should be the they, main character. I actually think they should have considered casting someone else and, and, and as Ben Platt did own it. He was incredible on Broadway. But this, the, everybody's calm. In the very first shot of the movie, you can see that he's wearing makeup. You well, yeah, that, that, that was makeup. very strange. And, it, and, and it's and, accentuating and his tastiness. Terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. And there, everybody's commenting on him how he's too old to play this teenager and, and comparing him to what he did on Broadway. What if they had put someone else in that role? Well, I was, if there's something outside there, what if they had done gone the Hamilton route captured this performance and then sold the freaking thing to Disney Plus or wherever. Way better. It Way better. It, would, it wouldn't have the same kind of backlash. No. And you'd have him at the peak of all that stuff. So it does actually make a good case for these live capture. But, uh, it's too, but Amy, I couldn't agree more. Uh, they just did. Uh, what was the name of the other one from Canada? Come, come Far Away. Yes. Which, which I on saw Apple on Broadway, which now. I love. Yeah. Um, so the other the other thing, Amy Adams is good in this. Julianne Moore is good. I mean, all the people who are playing in the supporting roles are just extraordinarily good. And I just think that Ben Platt wears you out in the end. OK, so we worked in the Dear Evan Hansen pan. You didn't miss your flight. And next week in New York, we'll be live. Uh, this it's is an industry only from event. Lincoln Center. <laughs> if you are an accredited member of the industry, you can get in. If you sneak in, we won't tell anyone, but it's 3 p.m. on Wednesday. Uh, and you can certainly heckle us from the crowd or just ask some questions or tune in uh, next week and, and you'll hear what comes out of it. But I really look forward to uh, bantering with you in public. It's always fun when we get together in person. So hey, I'll see Eric, you soon. Looking forward. See you soon. Bye bye. Safe travels. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.